Casablanca is considered by many to be one of the greatest films of all time. There's very little that I, or anybody else for that matter, could say that hasn't already been said. But what if I told you that I found the exception to that rule? In today's episode, you're going to get a fresh perspective on Casablanca that you haven't heard anywhere else, all courtesy of my longtime friend and collaborator, Sean Capdeville. Sean is the host of a video essay series called Franchise Forum, where he analyzes the long-form storytelling in major blockbuster franchises, from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy to Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy to many more. Now, you're probably asking me, Larry, what do all of these big-budget franchises have to do with Casablanca? Well, Sean has an incredible attention to detail and a knack for understanding world-building, which is why he has a show about analyzing those very things within these big franchises. But he also utilizes these skills as a screenwriter. And while Sean did go to film school to hone his craft, those skills were fostered by watching and analyzing countless films and their screenplays as a movie lover. And it just so happens that his favorite movie of all time, pause for dramatic effect, Casablanca has one of the sharpest screenplays in film history. It's a screenplay that taught Sean you can effectively build your world by accounting for every detail you can. See how I tied that all together? See, I thought that was pretty slick. So how does Casablanca make every detail matter? How do all of these details strengthen the story world? And how does all of this work to inspire Sean every day to keep writing and keep telling stories? Find out the answers to all of these questions and more right now. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast celebrating our favorite movies through fresh, positive perspectives from passionate movie lovers. I'm your host and fellow movie lover, Larry Freed, and every week we sit down with a new cinephile as they share the life-affirming experiences behind their all-time favorite movie, or whatever comes closest. Through their stories, we will gain a new, deeper appreciation for some of cinema's greatest hits, all while reaffirming the power of film. Thanks for being here. We know you listen to plenty of podcasts out there, and we are honored to be amongst them. Before we get started, if you haven't seen the film we're talking about today, don't worry. You can keep listening to the show for now, spoiler free. However, we will reach the point where we have to get into the nitty gritty. So we will include a spoiler warning so you can go in as fresh as possible. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of My Favorite Movie Is. My name is Sean Capdeville, and my favorite movie is Casablanca. Okay, before we dive deep into Casablanca, let's talk a little bit about Sean himself. I mean, after all, this is a podcast about movie lovers, not just favorite movies. So before Sean became a screenwriter, before he started Franchise Forum or anything like that, he started from humble beginnings growing up in Helena, Montana. Now, you don't see that every day. I had a pretty... I imagine, hopefully, pretty standard and boring family life in the sense that, like, I got a mom, a dad, and one sibling. Like, that's a pretty, like, cliche little thing we got. Uh, but no, it was good. Helen is a very quiet town, so it wasn't the city life. It wasn't anything exotic. And it's, it's like, I don't know, it's the capital, but that doesn't count for much in a state like this. And so it was, like, quiet's the word. Like, most of the neighbors were retired people or families taking up big houses and so like there were some 
neighborhood kids that I befriended and just kind of stuff like that. I got to bike around the streets because it's not busy. It's all it's all very quaint, isn't it? Now that I'm I'm saying it out loud. So how does some young kid from a quiet town far outside of any film capital or cultural landmark get his start with movies, let alone Casablanca, one of the greatest movies? Well, Sean was introduced to film like how most of us were, I imagine. We had a VCR and a a handful of VHS tapes that I would just watch over and over. And so like the first movie memories I have are uh, crying at Mufasa's death and stuff like that. Watching Toy Story in French in one of, I think I want to say first or second grade, my mom taught us French and we watched French Toy Story. So like just kind of those early, just something to watch. What is Toy Story in French? Do you remember the name um, of it in French? No, and I really wish I knew how to say to infinity and beyond in French. Because the <laughs> class absolutely lost it, erupted in laughter. I don't remember Amazing. how he says it, though. I'd have to pull up Google Translate and then butcher it. <laughs> uh, let's cut to a clip. <laughs> oh, please do. Oh, my God. If you can find it, please roll. Please roll. Vers <laughs> l'infini. <laughs> Thank you, VPN gods. <laughs> okay, so what other early film memories shaped Sean's love of film? My eighth grade birthday party, I went to Attack of the Clones. That was an early movie theater memory, blew my mind, of course. Um, the summer of Pirates of the Caribbean, when that hit, it was Ooh. it was a really hot summer. And so I went like 10 times because it was air conditioned. Wow. And it was a terrible <laughs> theater that closed a few years after, but it was a uh. chapel to me. And it became just kind of a thing that I did a lot. There was never a conscious choice of it. It's not like, ooh, this is a fun thing. I just, yeah, I seem to watch movies a lot and like talk to my friends about movies a lot. It just before I knew it, that it was just a, a fallback of my life. That's amazing. Oh, I love. Uh, we we both mutually adore Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh yeah. Um, I hope to cover that film one day on this on this mm, show. Yeah. How did the watching films transition into the making films? It was, I guess, you could say at a basic level, it was just mimicry that young kids do. So I watch a bunch of movies, and then the family has a camcorder, and I say, "Hey, now, mm. I I can do that thing that that like I watch." And it started out with shorts with my Star Wars action figures. We would just just hit the camcorder and we'd like, I'd like hold them beneath the frame where I don't have an, I wish I had an action figure to, to duplicate uh, and like say lines and stuff, little like shadow plays, but plastic action figures. And then I got myself like a digital camcorder, started doing things that are on YouTube, little comedy bits, little shorts. I did a stop motion Spider-Man thing. I just liked a thing and thought, can I? And so that's, and I did. Look at that. <laughs> you can. Uh, one of my birthday parties pre-Attack the Clones, probably, so I was like six or seven, was to create a Star Wars, basically ripoff called Galaxy Adventures. And it was, the whole party was, I got all my friends together and we had a script and we filmed it around like the neighborhood and stuff. Wow. It's, it was just what I did. It's like, that was my choice of like, that's my party. That. <laughs> I'd like to do that, please. That's a great idea for a birthday party, in my opinion. I think so. Like many of us who got bit by the film bug, Sean decided to go to film school and actually got a scholarship for Montana State University. But it was there that he made a surprising discovery. I went into MSU to film school with this uh, director, writer, director, maybe cinematography, you know, just stuff like that, because I do like visuals and stuff as well. 
And then I got there and was actually on a set doing production and I hated it so much. <laughs> there was just, there was, and part of it is that I was on a student film set and I understand that, but there was just this philosophical disagreement I had with the reality of film production because <laughs> everything I like, if I have this idea in my head, this shot or whatever, and I'm like, let's do it. Just the slightest bit of trouble doing so, or the pushback of like, oh, well, there's, you know, there's a building there, so we can't pull back enough. I just, there's a break in my head of like, I hate it. I can't mm. do the thing I want. No, unacceptable. That's always it. It's always a battle. Just trying to like get as close as you can to what you want. Or you can open a little blank Word document and it's all good, man. <laughs> everything, everything happens on the page. And I love that. Obviously, I just constantly have like these random ideas. And so that's where the writing also came in is like, well, no one else is doing these. No one's making these. I have these like ideas for like, oh, that'd be a cool movie. And no one's else is making them. So I guess I got to write them down. Like, that's what I'll do. Uh, my senior thesis pitch, my senior year of college, was a, a prologue. It wasn't a prequel, it was a prologue to Casablanca, a short film called The Honored Dead, which went into the murder of the two German couriers and how the letters were initially lost. The event that kicks off the entire movie is totally off screen. I found that interesting. And so I was trying to get that made uh, in 2016 as my senior thesis short film. And well, that brings us full circle to why most of you are here. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sean Capdeville all about Casablanca. Was there a formative experience or was it just this continued viewing over the many years? It was a continued viewing. Um, that's been a trend in my life is that there are very few like singular defining moments. Things gradually become what they are now to me. And so, yeah, I honestly can't say what viewing. Was it viewing 10? Was it viewing 50? Like when did it click as, as the favorite? But I think just I eventually liked it. I just kept quoting it. And especially with my dad, we love exchanging quotes because we both know it front to back. And it just kind of drilled in my head as an important film to me. And then at some point I sat down and thought, what are my favorites? And nothing else beat it. I know that you do not have a vivid memory of your first time seeing it. But do you recall if you were introduced to it during your childhood? Or did it come yeah. a little bit later in life? Um, kind of both. I know I definitely watched it too early, just, and it's not like it's R rated or too scary, but just in a, like, it's just a drama and the comedy is, it's kind of like a wit comedy. Like it's not a kid's kind of humor and the romance, ek, gross, like none of it was going to really land with me. And so I'm sure I watched it then where my dad had this terrible DVD, this kind of case that you like snap off a little binder and then open it like a book. It's Ugh, I'm glad those are gone. I was like, what movie's this? And we eventually put it on. But that's where I don't have memory of what I thought. I didn't like it enough to remember. And so I imagined, yeah, I was too young. I can't appreciate Casablanca. I was watching Attack of the Clones. If Attack of the Clones is like my favorite movie, Casablanca isn't going to be my favorite movie. So No, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Your dad had, a, had the copy of Casablanca? Yeah, it's also his favorite movie. He introduced it to me. Uh, just a bit too soon, but I'm sure I asked because I like saw it in the case and whatever, like, what's this? So it's also his favorite movie. You can have him on the podcast if you'd like. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so he introduced me to it. And I'm sure sometime in middle school is when it clicked 
because I knew by high school it was my favorite. And so, again, I don't remember that first time I saw it, nor do I remember the first time I'm like, wow, what a great movie or this is my favorite movie. I don't have specific, but at somewhere in middle school, I was old enough to appreciate it. I saw it again and said, oh, yeah, thumbs up. And then here we are, number one. And it's been that way for more than a decade, like 15 years. Can you talk to me about rewatching the film after deciding that like screenwriting, this is what you want to do. How did the film and your passion for screenwriting kind of connect? Because we both know that Mm -hmm. this script is is ironclad. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what it was. I was sitting there going, well, I should do screenwriting. And specifically the the Honored Dead, my senior thesis project, I was watching Casablanca. Like, All right, let's do a prologue to this. And yeah, I was sitting there like, okay, like every single second, every single line is gold. You can do that. And so I'm sitting there with my like, I'm trying to do a prologue like, well, damn, I got to... <laughs> I got to bring my A game every single time I put down my my pen. And so I think that's like the lesson to learn is that it can be every second can be great. And that doesn't mean it has to be this like, I don't know, overbearing, just constant cleverness. But it just means every second is an opportunity to do a very clever thing. It can be subtle. It can be big, anything. And so that was a moment of like, oh, that's what I should be doing. Not just can I, I should be, because that's what Casablanca does. And so it became, uh, what do people talk about in this scene? Oh, well, these are sentences that get the idea across. Like, well, okay, how do I make this thought like the best way to express that thought anyone could ever do? And that became the challenge. And so I think I keep up with that. Like every line I try and not make sound like Casablanca, but I have that in the back of my head of like, could be. It, it can. They did it. You could be that good if you, if you if you really tried. And so that's like it basically just set that unimaginably high bar and that allows me to strive for it. Just it's so high up there, but you got to claw at it. I try to be as dense as possible without it being too much. I do have that mantra of like, OK, why is that line there? If you have some just casual reason, not good enough, like you can make it better. And that's why I take forever to write stuff too, I think, is that I kind of constantly don't quite reach it <laughs> and like have to like keep thinking and re redoing it and all that. So yeah, I'd say I, I bring it with me everywhere just as a, an example of the height I could aspire to one day. And here it comes. We are officially entering spoiler territory. For those of you who want to go into this film as fresh as possible, this is where we part. If you've been enjoying the show so far and you want more My Favorite Movie Is, I encourage you to check out more episodes on our show page on the podcasting app you're listening on right now. Or find all of our episodes at mfmipodcast.com. We've covered plenty of other movies, and any movie lover worth their salt has surely seen at least one of them. But alright, enough dilly-dallying, let's dive into spoiler territory. You've talked about a lot in our previous conversations about Casablanca, how every moment like gets you excited for the next moment. And it's like a constant, almost like heartbeat, like consistent heartbeat of moments. Boom, 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 boom. Right after the other. Now, I want to know, though, why is it? Why does every single moment in this movie, not even from a writing perspective, but from other scenes as well, why is it that every moment just keeps pushing you through this movie with such a with such an excitement. I mean, you obviously have talented people behind it, especially in the script. But 
I actually think its origins help. I think because it started as a play, it just had a different mindset going in and just has kind of a different, what time do we have? How do we use it? And so it seems like you have to be more compact in plays, at least the plays I've seen. You don't have your three hour Avengers Endgame necessarily, unless you're like a big musical production or something. A lot of times they are like one act plays or something and just, and you have to, you have no choice. And so I think since that was the starting point, it just carried in. There's no fluff that they added on top of it. It's a very clean 102 minutes and that's all it needed to be. This sounds cynical, but I actually, and I don't want to like downplay what was called the golden age, but I do kind of wonder if this studio system that was rather machine-like actually kind of helps with that. Like I haven't, I've been seen as many films from the forties as I'm sure I, I should as a film person, but the, the idea of churning out pictures might've helped it where they got this great script and so they have great material, but then yeah, they couldn't add stuff because they had to film it in however long. And so it became this just like lightning in a bottle, but it's just lightning. It's that, it's just like as, as much as you need and nothing more. And so it's the most efficient film I think I've ever seen because of that. And maybe because of just the powers that be and its original source material just pushed it through so quick. And the talent around it was just so inherently good that it came out the, the miracle that it is. There's certainly a studio manufacturing element to a lot of the films. Michael Curtiz did like 150 movies in his life. And that's, that's just workman output, right? And so, yeah, I have to say that something that draws me to Casablanca is that the bells and whistles aren't there. I don't need flashiness. I don't need any sort of, I don't know, gimmick sounds too mean, but without any of the like push to be a film, you know, you're just left with the story. I mean, one of the reasons our friend collaborator Max, who was on the show, of course, one of the reasons he doesn't like Casablanca as much, he likes it, but he's like, eh, I don't know. It's not like amazing to me that it's very much a play. It's not very filmy. And it's funny that, yeah, to him, to someone like him who values the Flash, the Edgar Wright, all that, to me is like, no, no, that that good. That good though, because I can just like <laughs> focus on what I'm here for. I'm here for that story, baby. I could just read the screenplay and call it a night. I don't need you to even film it. So yeah, it works for me in that sense. Like, I don't need the fanciness. That's also why Nolan is one of my favorite directors, because he is not flashy. He's actually kind of a boring director at the end of the day. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, because you got good scripts, man. <laughs> a lot of filmmakers and a lot of aspiring filmmakers especially want to reinvent the wheel before they even know what the wheel is. Right. So Casablanca is the wheel. <laughs> the Casablanca oh, yes. is the wheel, but with the occasional spoke, because some of the shots in this, I think, are fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. I, no, I'm not going to. It's not like it was this flat, just like, hey, show the room. People talk. Go. Obviously not. But there's a clear lack of over the top stylization. There are still some beautiful shots. It was sure. definitely a very artistically driven film, like obviously creative decisions were being made. I don't want to speak ill of uh, the entire team, Michael Curtiz and everyone else involved. Certainly not. I don't want to give the wrong impression there and have the ghost of Michael haunt me. Uh, I think you're okay. <laughs> I just, I think about that when I was watching it the other night, I texted you like about the, the very first time we're in Rick's cafe and like, yeah, it is yeah, just yeah. an insanely great moment of editing. It is like, it is hmm. such a great example of, as you said, like every line of dialogue 
being a thing, being a moment that you can like look into and like mm, like piece it and pierce it. I don't even know if there's a single moment in this movie in which that doesn't reflect the themes or the arcs of the characters or the ideas at the center. Something that helps the movie is that okay, the expression oh in this movie whatever town or city is almost is, is a character in the film in its own right. That is always nonsense with no exceptions whatsoever. But how Casablanca pulls it off is the town. The people around our cast, just the people living there, the people trapped there, are a conglomerate character in a way. And so I think by just surrounding your core story with the setting, which is also the theme, like that's the thing. The struggle of Casablanca is the struggle of Victor Laszlo and Ilsa trying to get out. That first scene where we just pan through Rick's cafe is just people we never see again. And they're just talking about stuff that we hadn't heard of before. Like, what's the value? It's like, well, the value is that it sets the tone. It sets the setting. And that's also the entire conflict that we'll eventually have to care about. It's the fishing smack San Diego. It leaves at one tomorrow night. Here from the end of La Medina. Third boat. Thank you. Thank you. And bring the 15,000 francs in cash. Remember, in cash. Why do we care about this guy getting on a boat? Well, because Victor Laszlo got to get on a plane. And so it's so good at just like building you right into this setting and how everyone is suffering the same thing. And then the story's like this person in particular. Let's focus on that. I'm curious if you have any other moments in the film, like what we were just talking about, that first moment in Rick's Cafe. Scenes that could have very easily have been inconsequential, forgettable, minute things in the background. But... Casablanca makes them memorable through this connection to the the core themes and characters. Do you have any other moments like that? Well, there's a subplot with oh, I'm a fake fan. I don't know her name because they never no. say it in the movie. I, hold on, hold on. Give me a second. This is astonishing. I can't believe it. We have an element of Casablanca that Sean does not remember. They never say it. Yeah. Oh, Anina. Anina. Yeah, they Anina. definitely do okay. not name drop her at all. No, that's that's the forties. Um, there's a whole subplot with um, Anina that's not in her name. I definitely didn't look it up because it's never said and I didn't know it. Anina and Ion, a uh, Bulgarian couple, uh, and things are very bad there, monsieur. The devil is the people by the throat. And they're trying to get out of Casablanca too, like everyone. You don't need to do that again. Again, it's the same conflict that Laszlo's in and everyone like yada yada. And yet we keep seeing them. They're there at the very beginning when the plane's landing and she's looking up and hopefully says, Perhaps tomorrow we'll be on the plane. Uh, they aren't, but the day after they are. So good news for her. Um, and, and we just keep following her. She comes in with Louie and all that. And then finally, there's a scene with Rick and she talks to Rick and you don't have to do it. Rick could stay the cold, cynical shell. You could hint where he might be warming up a bit or whatever in other ways. But they dedicate this whole scene where she says, my husband's in the in the gambling room playing roulette, trying to win enough money for us to leave. He's doing badly. And Rick's like, oh, whatever. Everyone in Casablanca has problems. Yours might work out. Peace. But then he goes in and he rigs the game. Have you tried 22 tonight? I said 22. It's just such a great scene where you see the real Rick come out. And you didn't need that subplot. Again, all the extras have this conflict. We didn't need to focus on one extra in particular, whatever. And yet it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And the roulette scene is one of my favorite scenes where he finally starts to show it. And it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. As, as Sasha says, boss, you've done a beautiful thing. I mean, I think that's my favorite part of Anina and Jan is that they feel like a sort of microcosm 
of the conflict of the character. It's sort of like a pre-Ilsa and Victor before mm-hmm. Ilsa and Victor. Um, it, it is a microcosm. And the film is very good at that with those like tiny conversations as we first go into the cafe and stuff like that. But and we get our own little subplot with Anina and Jan, the Bulgarian couple. I'll just call them the Bulgarian couple. (laughs) And you did bring up that like everything ties into the theme. And so even these subplots are directly the same. And the best example of that I made a whole video about. And that's the Play La Marseillaise song where the Germans are singing not their anthem for legal reasons I read about, but a a famous German song that was sung in the military. And everyone's bummed because, you know, Nazis, uh, mood. And then Victor won't have it. He comes in and he is upset. I love that shot of Paul Heinrich. He is just like, no, not having it. He just runs up to the band and goes, Play La Marseillaise. Play it. And then they play it and everyone stands and it's the best scene of the movie because it distills the whole movie. Because that conflict of the town comes in right there with with everyone involved and that defiance. And they win this. It's like a singing contest in the middle of this wartime drama. Like, what is it doing here? But it's perfect. It's the best scene in the movie. It might be the best scene. End of sentence. Ever. And it's even better than my favorite piece of trivia, which is very widespread. I'm sure I'm not blowing any minds of a listener that most of the extras in that scene were indeed refugees from Europe. They ended up in L.A. and stuff, and they were working as extras. And so most of the people singing that song, they actually did have their lives uprooted as the Nazis were at the time, full speed across Europe, just conquering basically unchecked at that point of the war because the U.S. had not gotten involved as the film was being made. In fact, the film was written to get the American people to support joining the war. That scene really shows that where they're like showing the people stand up and hopefully that would inspire the audience. But Pearl Harbor beat them to it. So uh, don't you hate it when that happens? Uh, yeah. Hi, if you've been enjoying listening to Larry and I talk about film, then you'll really enjoy listening to Just Me Talk About Film, classic edition by subtraction. I just discussed another favorite movie of mine, The Chronicles of Narnia Prince Caspian, on my YouTube channel, Franchise Forum, a show that explores the art of long-form cinematic storytelling by analyzing how the films of a given series change and build on each other over time. There may even be a few jokes thrown in there, I don't know, I haven't checked. In addition to Narnia, I have covered topics such as the classic Planet of the Apes run, the Dark Knight trilogy, and much, much more, as in two other things. The channel's kinda new, give me a break. If you're a fan of My Favorite Movie Is, like I am, then there is a really good chance you'll be a fan of franchise form as well, as it is similarly obsessed with the hows and whys of this art form, just with a larger scope. So if you're interested, please check the show notes for a link to the channel, I hope to see you there. But for now, back to me some more. Oh, and Larry. I mean, I know this because I know you, but I also, in looking back and listening to some of our previous conversations about Casablanca and some of the videos you've made about it, I know that this film very, very deeply resonates with you. And I know part of that is because you very, very deeply identify with the main character, Rick Blaine, portrayed by Humphrey Bogart. Uh Can you tell me why you see yourself in this character and what is it about him that is so compelling for you? Well, I'm also a drunkard and have bad luck with trains. No, oh, easy, <laughs> easy. Okay, that, that was good. That was that's all we needed. Um, oh, good, we're done. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, but but seriously, um, there is a reason, and it, it's interesting. I actually had it on the background 
earlier, just an hour ago, as I was setting up for this, it was just running again. And it occurred to me, the single line that Laszlo says, Laszlo says, you might as well question why we breathe. If we stop breathing, we'll die. If we stop fighting our enemies, the world will die. And Rick says, what of it? Then it'll be out of its misery. And what Laszlo says is so good. He says, you know how you sound, Mr. Blaine? Like a man who's trying to convince himself of something he doesn't believe in his heart. That's such a good core for a character. And that's something that I hope I continue to relate to because especially the past handful of years have been really hard for me to stay remotely optimistic about the future and people and all of it, just life. And so whenever I say or tweet something really harsh, something that could borderline get me banned from the service, I hope that I'm a man trying to convince himself of something he doesn't believe in his heart. I hope that it's this facade, this like, oh yeah, I don't care. And I hope that it, that stays the case. I hope it's never genuine. I hope I'm always the fake Richard Blaine because if not, movie doesn't end well. I'm not gonna sugarcoat middle school me and high school me, even whatever. Like you have things about you that you don't, you're not proud of. I was definitely one of those like, I saw some bad news stories and I was mad at some people and I was a cynic, you know, like I was in my Twitter <laughs> bio and it's like, oh yeah, that's me, man. Um, God, I came so close to a fedora. Like I, in another life, I slipped into fedora-ness, I swear. Well, didn't Rick too? So that also tracks. I mean, he's the only one who can pull it off. Um, and so no, like if you'll allow me to get actually political and specific, uh, the 2016 election was a genuine break point of me and my life. And it became so real. It wasn't just, oh, I saw these Westboro Baptist church rallies and I'm mad. It became a majority of the country is this way. A majority of the country is the kind of person that I cannot comprehend. And that's really quickly morphed into anyone can be that way. And this fear of unknowable individuals, just anyone on the street, I suddenly, I've pulled back so much since then. I do actually sometimes have the thoughts that Rick does. What of it? The world will be out of its misery. But again, I hope that doesn't stick and it hasn't yet. I'm still Rick in the end where that's all just kind of to cover up the damage, the hurt that happened when I realized that a majority of the people around me, I hate and they hate me. And it's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling, Larry. I, oh, I'm sure of it. You know, transitioning from what you just said in your episode of Movie Making Moments, which was the show that you worked on before Franchise Forum, you define the theme of Casablanca as, quote, the condemnable nature of neutrality in the face of evil, um, which is just such a eloquent, like, clean description of the theme of that film and i was wondering if you could speak to this theme not only in terms of post 2016 but just in general has this has this theme always been something that has really hit close to home for you this is why this is my favorite film not just a favorite so the world as you may know is a little out of control. It's a little chaotic. Things don't typically happen for a reason. And that's bad. A lot of bad things happen. It's senseless. It's just, it's a bad time, man. I'm not a huge fan, if I'm being honest, overall. 
But what if I told you that there were worlds where things were crafted to make sense, that things did fall into place, that things were what they should be, that there was this inherent sense of justice to them. That would be stories, and that's why I liked stories, is because they made sense. Even the sad stories, you're like, well, that's what you get, you know, stuff like that. Cautionary tales or tragedies, they're still satisfying. There's still this just completely unmatched feeling <laughs> of that's how it should be. And I value that so much. And so why Casablanca is number one, and I can't imagine we'll, ne we'll ever stop being number one, is because the movie is about that. The movie is about a real life person refusing to be a character. Richard Blaine is just, uh, whatever. I stick my neck out for nobody. Doesn't have any consideration or care of how things should be, of right and wrong, just shrug, right? Who cares? I got dumped once in Paris. Uh. But in the end, he has to learn that it doesn't work. That if people aren't trying to make things the way they should be, if there isn't this active agency on our behalf, Victor Laszlo does not get out of Casablanca. The Nazis win, literally, and oh, we're back to that being literal nowadays. Oopsie. So that's why it resonates so much. It's the peak story. It's the story that captures the essence. Richard Blaine has to learn that lesson that sometimes things can and should be a certain way and you have to act upon it. And so that's what I think the power of narrative is. It shows us that things can be better and that we can make them that way. And so that's why we like hearing them. And I hope that they inspire people. And I think hopefully that instilled that value in me is just seeing movies over and over where things were the way they should be and just and heroic and stuff like that. And so Rick learns that lesson. Rick steps up. Rick does what it should be, not just what is shrug. And and it's beautiful. And I love it. And so it he's fighting his movie the whole movie. And I think that's brilliant. But in the end, he's like, fine. Narrative. I'll do it. I'll do the narrative thing. Shoots the Nazi. So that's uh, there's save the cat. And then there's shoot the Nazi. Yeah, I much prefer shoot the Nazi. <laughs> I just came up with that on the spot. I think I could sell a book with that. Oh, hell yeah. Are you enjoying this episode of My Favorite Movie Is? Did you wish it was jam-packed with even more insightful conversation and no ads to interrupt? Well, you're in luck. If you sign up for our Patreon right now, you can get access to an ad-free and uncut version of this episode, featuring our full conversation from when we started rolling to when we cut. You'll also get access to other cool perks like commentary tracks, personalized video shoutouts, and access to the patron zone in our Discord community in which you can see early drafts and works in progress and help give us feedback to make the show even better. And if you can believe it, all of this is available for just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes to become a patron today. Now, back to the show. Sean, any last words before we wrap up? With the coming of the Second World War, many eyes in imprisoned Europe turned hopefully or desperately towards the freedom of the Americans. <laughs> Fast forwarding a bit, uh, a beautiful friendship. Um, no, I, I had a great time. Fast forwarding a bit. <laughs> Just 101 minutes. Sean, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. A pleasure. Always, literally anyone on the street. It didn't even have to be you. Like, it doesn't matter. If anyone's like, hey, do you want to talk Casablanca? Be like, absolutely. And Let's go. And, right then, now. and then someone will go, get away from me, you weird boy. Hey, they're asking me in this scenario, though I also have gone up to people, but like, <laughs> do you want to discuss 
Casablanca a little. I mean, oh my God. I got some free time. Just at the laundromat waiting for lunch, being like, so have you, <laughs> so have you seen Casablanca? <laughs> mm, so, all the gin joints, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to get those letters of transit already? All uh, right, great. That's it. We're done. And there you have it. That was Sean Captiville on Casablanca, a movie that has such an inherent sense of justice that it reminds us of why we tell stories in the first place. This might be a hot take, but I think a lot of people often overlook Casablanca, despite its reputation, simply because it's such an older film and so many people have said so much about it, but it's always important that we look back on classic films like Casablanca every so often, especially with fresh, modern, new, and positive perspectives to remind us of why they are so formative. And nothing is better than revisiting these classic films and sharing them with fellow movie lovers, especially those of us who love the film, like Sean. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could talk to Sean more about his perspective on the movie and maybe gain more of his insights? Well, lucky for you, you can on the My Favorite Movie Is free Discord server. In anticipation of this episode, we've been talking about the film with Sean nonstop. We watched it together earlier this month as part of one of our first community watch-alongs. We've been answering daily discussion prompts, and patrons even got early access to this episode through our server's feedback channel, and they helped contribute to the final product that you're listening to right now. The My Favorite Movie Is Discord community is a place for all movie lovers to come together, connect, and discuss our different perspectives on our favorite movies, helping us all gain a deeper appreciation for film through each other. And we'd love to have you join us. The link to join our free Discord community is in the show notes. I'll see you there. On the next episode, we will be discussing the film Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. If you haven't seen the film before or you want to keep it fresh in your mind, be sure to watch it before the next episode. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Freed Presents production. The show is executive produced and hosted by me, Larry Freed. For this episode, our sound recordist was Steven Reyes, and our editor was Fernando Queiroz. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento, our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield, and our theme song, Now and Then, as well as all original music featured in this show, is composed and performed by Mac or Duke. A special thank you to Sean Captaville for being an amazing guest and for being so generous with his time. And a special thanks to everybody who gave feedback on this episode and helped me shape and mold it before we released it. And a super special thanks to our amazing patrons, Keith, Tony, Mo, and Sean. You are literally helping to make this show possible. For those of you who are interested in being a patron for My Favorite Movie Is and receiving exclusive benefits for being so, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. My name is Larry Freed, and this has been My Favorite Movie Is.